Hey everybody, we are Francis, Martin, and Robert, and this is Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Get ready, we're about to live in your head rent-free. Welcome back to Snakes and Otters. This is episode 8. I am Francis in the captain's chair. I'm Martin. And I'm Robert. And welcome back. We're going to be talking a little bit in extension of what we talked about last episode with Voltaire, but we're going to try to take it forward a little bit. And the premise I want to put together on this is the I want us to discuss the American philosophical character. Where did it come from? How did we get to revere the things that we do revere, such as civil liberties, the Bill of Rights in particular? All those things that are enshrined in our legal uh, history today are mostly unquestioned by us. They are simply, it's almost as if they came down like the Ten Commandments and were bestowed upon us and see, here we are, and now we don't question that. Most, most modern Western governments have enshrined those. That's right. You know, maybe not exactly the same way, but it's almost universal in the West. Exactly. Obviously, there's something to them. Mm -hmm. But how did we get here? I submit that much of that was rooted in the Enlightenment, and Voltaire in particular, although many, many others, we've talked about Locke being extremely important in that, mm -hmm. and there are many others. Let's talk a little bit about how the hell did we find ourselves here? Why, did, why in the world would Franklin and Jefferson and all those founding fathers think these were important? Was it reactionary, or was it truly enlightened? Well, I, I would say, well, first of all, because there is a revolution, by default, there's going to be some reactionary, of course, uh, that's correct, attitude and effect in there. Um, I mean, you can make the argument that what the revolution uh, was sparked by um, was not really justifiable in terms, of, say, a just war theory uh, yeah. for the break. Uh -huh. But because uh, even philosophically, really not that. Far you you had to gin up a lot of support yeah, for you this. Had, yeah, you did. This it, was not a, as gr as grassroots or a groundswell of a movement as we, 200 years later, have reviewed it. Right to after be. it was over. Oh my God, we were always for the revolution. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, you bring up a good point again. Having just finished uh, Walter Isaacson's uh, Benjamin Franklin, Franklin saw himself as a British citizen. As did the rest of the founders, mm -hmm. and their their gripe was we're not being treated as such. Yep, right. Uh, Franklin uh, early on is is not one of the red hot patriots. He is not uh, Samuel Adams. He's he's not in that group right. initially. No, get us out of here he, in he, whatever bloody way you can do yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, he's okay. very much a middle grounder for a right. long time, and to a degree, by some patriots, isn't trusted because of that. Um, Would you say he intends to make the world England, make America England? Yes. Just on I its mean, own. Basically, his thought Which was, was British policy at this time, they colonialism. The, his gripe, again, it seems odd to us because we see the British monarch as just, hey, it's just this family with all these divorces and crazy things going on, but he revered the king and wanted to remain the king's subject, his gripe was with Parliament. The, the, the American patriots thought they were getting screwed over initially, not by the king, but by Parliament. They just wanted a, a, they either wanted representation there, or they wanted their parliaments 
to to have the same type of um, effect. They wanted home rule. Home rule. Yeah, I mean, essentially that's what they wanted. I was going to say, but when did that change? Because there comes along later. Franklin is very clearly quoted as, "We don't want representation. We want independence." But this is later. He comes to it later. He does right. come to it later. Uh, again, after he has been in Europe, ah, he has and has an been experience. exposed to the philosophies right. of when he Locke, when he Voltaire, and all when the he leaves Philadelphia uh-huh. and goes back to London and is trying to represent Pennsylvania, yeah, uh, and isn't and getting he, anywhere. Right, he's and ignored. Gets, he gets humiliated, in fact. Yes, in in what's called the cockpit, um, where they basically tell him, like you talked about before, why don't you go in the other room and kill some squirrels yeah. and leave government to the to the big boys here in London. Yeah. Um, and that begins to harden him. Right. Well, and you know, um, after a certain point, uh, once the the the, the English uh, land troops and begin trying to put down what they see as an insurrection. Right. Yes. Um, that's a big you know, part of it. That's going to start changing things. And once enough blood has been spilled, there's no going back. Yeah. Which they very out. much see that as you're using British troops against British citizens. Yes. You, yeah, don't, do, that, you don't do that. I mean, that's, that's like marching the Red Coast through London and shooting people. Yeah, it's them. like taking the shooting of the Kent State Four yeah. and multiplying it across the entire country. Yeah, Think absolutely. about that. Absolutely. National Guard firing on uh, American citizens who are just on a college protesting. Now, I don't know all the details, how violent it really got, but you know it was a cluster to begin with. Mm-hmm. And I imagine that a lot of what happened early on was very much a cluster the same way. Right. Yeah, there was um, you know, ham-fisted attempts. Uh, British politicians did not respect... You know the American uh, settlers at their peril, ultimately. Yeah, and it it, it was very myopic. It really was. Yeah. Um, when you when you start to think about you know being very forward thinking, and why didn't a British politician look at New York and Philadelphia and go, "Look, we can't afford to lose these places. This right. is important stuff." Because the idea of losing was inconceivable. Yeah. So right. they didn't think about it. They, did, they didn't think that this was even possible. These are, I mean, these are, this is, uh, you know, a huge trade opportunity. These are awesome harbors. I mean, there was an entire continent be. of resources that yeah. they basically gave away. Right. I mean, because they owned it, as far as they knew. Right. There were not a, there, no indigenous people here to deal with, to speak of. We had enough here that it was ours at this point. Right, right. In the 13 colonies, the indigenous people had been pushed out. So you've got a, a basically a settled, safe production facility of lots of raw materials. A captive market, too. Exactly. A captive market, yes. And they, they abused it all the way around. And um, you know, one of the great things about Franklin, and when you, when you talk about someone who is forward-thinking and forward-looking, yes, even early on, you know, he wanted to remain part of the empire right. and glorify the empire, but he also wanted the colonies to act in concert. He was one of the first ones to see that he's not just a Philadelphian, he's not just a Pennsylvanian. We have this opportunity to put these 13 independent places together and really accomplish something. You would call that a proto-federalist? 
I'm not sure Isaacson would go quite that far. I think it's probably so far before it's time the 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 appellation would be meaningless. Yeah. But because he was a postmaster, yeah. he was probably the most traveled person in the colonies. Yeah. No, that's a good point. That's he, a good point. He was the one that could see the need all, you know, and the potential. Jefferson hardly ever left Virginia. Right. You know, other so, than, until he went to France. Yeah. yeah. And even then, uh, or, or, or go to Philadelphia for the conventions and stuff. Uh, Washington's probably somewhat more uh, closer in travel. Uh, again, as being a frontier soldier, mm-hmm. um, but not, but not the same not, kind of travel, That's right? Like, not uh, in the north. Not, no, he's still a very southern. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, it's in the wilderness, you know. Absolutely. But yeah, none of the rest of the they were very much all part of their colony. Right. They saw themselves as a Virginian or a Carolinian right. well, or that philosophy a New Yorker. stayed until the Civil War. That's right. Yeah. The, it's not the United States is; it was the United States are. Yeah. And Franklin is the exception. He is the guy that sees that we can be more together than we are individually. Yeah, which was radical at yeah. the time. And, all, and again, inconceivable. Most people don't think this yeah. way until they're forced to. By the time we get rid of the British, then we, now what the hell are we going to do? What do? What should this look like? Fortunately for all of us, Franklin had it pretty well figured out by that time. No. Um, that's a really awesome part of this book, and and I don't want to I don't want to drag us too far off from Voltaire, but um, when you get to the Constitutional Convention, uh, Franklin is back from Europe. He, right. he did spend practically the entire Revolution in in Europe, in France, mostly yeah. Cajun for loans and help, yeah. uh, and seeking treaties. He was part of the uh, group that uh, negotiated the end of the war treaties. Correct. Yeah. Um, but he gets back to Philadelphia, and they begin this process in the Constitutional Convention, and he's very much a Voltaire, right? In that, I'm not sure about this full blown democracy thing. Ah, he's even also, though we, even though we modernists today would say that's exactly what he is. He's all about democracy, and that's why he, he, we revere him. But if you we're, were wrong. He slow walked to a bicameral legislature. He was very much a unicameral legislature person at first, and um, a strong, a strong executive. So, one of the things that's interesting is when you think about you know people keep talking about the United States is a democracy. No, we are not a nope. freaking democracy. Never have been. Never have been. And the day we are is the day the the. the the way the political system works dies. That's correct. Yes. It'll be, it would be tyranny. And Just tyranny of the majority. Tyranny of the majority. And that was one of the things that they, I think, they explicitly, why they went to the balance of power in the Constitution, especially after the failure of the um, uh, Articles, of Confederation. Articles of Confederation. Thank yeah. you. Um, you know, they were all, in a way, very much like Voltaire, even though I still think they owe more to, ha- to Locke than they do Voltaire. Um they very much did not trust everybody to have the vote. You know, that's they had to have property to that's vote. Correct. Only men could vote. That's right. You know, certainly nobody who wasn't a white, of course, weren't other than you know Indians couldn't vote. Uh, the slaves, even freed black yeah. men, couldn't vote. Right. Even if they owned property, I don't think they would have been allowed to vote. No. So, so it was it was definitely a slow walk through there before they got to the idea of 
universal suffrage. A, a, a somewhat universal suffrage and dropping property qualifications and things like that. Right. It really did. Well, that, it took well, it, forever it, ultimately, to reach that yeah, I think until 1935 when the American Indian was finally recognized as a citizen, that's probably the last part of universal suffrage at that point. Uh, that's kind of when we had finally done yeah. it. But let me, let me, I'll pull you back to your, your Voltaire, okay? Franklin is the exemplar of the middle class. His values are middle class. Right. Practicality. He was a printer, actually. Yes. Yeah, he, was, he was a merchant. Exactly. And America was a merchant nation. Well, at that point, or the North was yes. I mean, the South was always agrarian. Agrarian, correct. Yes. Uh, which is something they did not foresee as well as perhaps they could have. Yeah. Well, they ultimately had to compromise around it. Right. right. Yeah. But his values of practicality, doing the most good you can, um, are very deist. We talked a little bit last time about the philosophy of deism and 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 all that where it's a reaction against different types of Christian sects of, um, you know, is faith alone the path to salvation or is it good works? Or, or And it's just very much a struggle that Franklin ends up in this kind of middle ground as a deist. And then that from there he builds this very middle class, pragmatic, compromising set of values. And to me... There's your root of the revolution, more so than Voltaire. The American Revolution. Yes, yeah. the American Revolution. Right, yeah. Yes, we talked about France last time. That's correct. Let's yeah, focus sure on America this time. So you think that it's it's Franklin's compromise on Voltaire's principles that we ultimately ended up with? I think it's... Uh, no, I think, I think in Voltaire, Franklin recognized a... A, use, what, a fellow traveler, a, a useful tool. I don't but even I, know you could say it's compromising. I think he was principles. he was there already before he really gets to Voltaire. Voltaire simply quantifies it and brings it to an articulated point. But Franklin was already there. Voltaire's a more prolific writer, correct? More polished by the time he's yes, finished. Yes, but I think Franklin and most of the other patriots. Well, again, they see a kindred spirit in Voltaire. Yeah. I think they're already there without being necessarily influenced, influenced by, by him. him. That's a good right. question. Uh, I don't know how well they had read him or well, Locke see, or any something others. I was going to bring up I, that I made note that I wanted to bring up last time when we talked about Voltaire. Um, obviously, being French, yeah, he probably wrote in French, maybe Latin. I'm not sure mostly how, French. It's mostly French. So, yeah. how much of that is actually going to be translated and across the sea into the thirteen colonies? Good question. And so few of the well, early patriots were literate. Were literate in more than one language. A few knew Greek and Latin, probably. Right. But Jefferson, I think, Voltaire knew Greek was not. It mostly it was mostly French. Yeah, Greek. I mean, not that, not that he didn't, but uh, you're right. But this is so new. It's kind of like putting a popular culture translating into Latin. Nobody's doing that. Nobody wants to do that. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying the ideas didn't filter over in some way. Obviously, they did. They knew who Voltaire was. They saw him as a kindred spirit. Right. Um, but again, you, Franklin was thrilled, absolutely thrilled to meet him. Right. Um, but I think they were there. Franklin, Adams. Um, so, which leads to the Jefferson, Jefferson Washington. Washington. They, they were there. 
through other means than Voltaire. Which brings me to kind of the ultimate point here. What Voltaire and Franklin and all these others understand, what they come up with, is a universal truth. Is a universal good. They can't always articulate it the same, but ultimately they realize this is the right thing to do. Yep. And it should be done. It should be made to happen. And whatever we have to do, now that we have the opportunity, in the case of the American Revolution, because yeah. they weren't thinking this way until the war was won. Not much. Um, I would be willing to, because you got to remember, most of the people we would consider founding fathers yeah. did not serve in the army That's with correct. Washington. Right. The thinkers, most of the thinkers, stayed home. That's right. And they were in the Continental Congress. Right. I'm willing to bet a lot of this stuff was percolating during the war. I would think it would almost have to be. Sure. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, again, there's a synthesis of it in the Declaration of Independence. Right. In Jefferson, it's in his hand. Right. But Franklin and Adams are the proofreaders and the editors. Right. Right. They, they wrote that together. Jefferson just put together the final draft. Right. right. He, and, and it's very much... The final product is through the prism of Franklin's very middle class, very practical, and very deist, pragmatic values. Which is taking Voltaire and turning it a few points in one direction. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not... I think, I think so. And if, I think that, that's, if it's, it can even be attributed to Voltaire at that point. Well, I will say the Enlightenment. Because I, th- I think yes. it's, it's now, definitely... Now, okay. Yeah. That's, I, we're I, using I Voltaire to stand for the Enlightenment, and that's not quite fair, because it's much more I than that. Well, yes, yeah, and, right and, there. Yes. and I, the only reason I cr- uh, bring that up, not to correct you on it, but just because the founders themselves, they credit Locke. That's right, yeah. And, then, and it, Hobbes, and that's some right. of the others. Yeah, it, the English guys. And, and there's, a, there's also... Which is, which is their tradition. A, yeah. a big piece of it, too, you, when you think about things like the Federalist Papers and Tom Paine... They are, and, and even to a degree, Franklin, in some of his writings, they use these quasi-Roman pseudonyms. So they feel like they're reaching back even beyond the Enlightenment to ancient Rome, ancient Greece, the start of some of these ideas that the Enlightenment has rekindled. Right, because... You know, the, the Renaissance and the Enlightenment rekindle all of this. Well, yeah, because Plato's the one that comes up with the idea of democracy anyway. Which is, you know, it was practiced in Rome, not really, but sort of kind of, the Republic well, was. it was, it, yeah. It, it had, it had... Even it was, in Greece, it wasn't practiced exactly like a democracy. Well, Plato himself said... Probably it closer than any says it wasn't place. a troop in democracy is not possible, only in small groups. Right, yeah. right. Because ultimately, as Franklin is famous for saying, uh, you know, why should I trade one tyrant 3,000 miles away for 3,000 tyrants one mile away? And, and, and to be honest, that's, thank God for that, because... We would be living, and we might be on the road anyway, in that style of tyranny, type of tyranny, where all you need is fifty-one percent, and you can do what you will. Yeah, I mean it's, and there are no protections for the forty-nine. Yeah, I mean, it was like P.J. O'Rourke uh, wrote years ago. You know, he's my absolute favorite. Is you know, you throw away the rights of man for the little kids on the milk cartons uh, in, in a in in a instant democracy you know right well that's uh, you, you throw it absolutely you know because uh, you you whatever the because rationalism thing of the moment is which you throw everything off which proves voltaire's point yeah. from the very beginning that yeah. the masses cannot be trusted to rule themselves so only those who think right can the do, can aristocracy do so. of the mind right so as we, as we talked about i i gotta pause for a second here and take a sip of my bourbon uh <laughs> it's something you just said uh, it's a great PJ quote, 
But I'm just wondering how many people that are younger than us know what the hell a milk carton is <laughs> with a kid's picture on the it. little kids on the milk cartons, yeah. Oh. That is kind of a thing that well goes done, back sir. away. Well, well done, sir. It's become perhaps cliche if we're lucky. Yeah, yeah. Pa- paper milk cartons are not out there much anymore. No, either. and I don't know how many time I don't know how many of them still have uh, kids' pictures on. Google it; you'll find out lots of good things if you don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I was just I'm sorry, it just struck me. It's like, well, well, we are we are <laughs> we are creatures of our era. We are as we as, are. as everyone is. As, we are. As, you know, listeners, as we talked about there a few weeks ago. Yeah, we're nerds, and we're nerds of a certain age. Yep, that's right. So there are there may be a reference or two. You'll Slightly above fifty. Just, you, that's you, all we need to you say. Kids, yeah, you kids may have to look up. Oh some great! Of these now you've just killed half of our audience. Oh no! <laughs> oh god! I'm not going to listen to those guys. They're too old. They're too old. Um, uh, brilliance takes time to develop. Uh, yeah, well, that's an entirely different. And so does show. humility. Yeah. You, you ain't and, got and there yet. So does senility. Come on, you know, uh, <laughs> it's true. all yeah. Uh, yeah, by the time you have enough humility to matter, you're too senile for it to work. That's right. Um, so let, let's, I want to get back to um, uh, the, the, the philosophy here. So uh, obviously the ideals that, that all of the major enlightened philosophical writers talked about. Right. It doesn't matter if it was Hobbes or Locke or right. Rousseau. Each had their own piece, and they all kind of played right. off each other in many ways. So I don't think it really matters who we necessarily give credit to other than the, than the ones the founders specifically talked about. Obviously, that's going to be the ones foremost in their mind. Right. But they're all tied together. But the interesting thing is, um, and, and maybe this is just because, maybe because it didn't start out trying to get it all 100% right, maybe that's the reason why it worked. You know, just like I said last, last time in the last episode, Voltaire was great at espousing the philosophy. Yes. He sucked at living it. Very much so. You can make the same argument about the United States and its foundation. We were great at espousing all (laughs) men are created equal. Yeah. We sucked at living it. And to a degree, we still do. That's right. So, now... how much of a passion would we be given for that? Well... Not much, actually. Well, it depends. Yeah. So, if you look at it, I think, from a... um, uh, whether it was realistic, if it was pragmatic, or if it's just uh, ingrained prejudices, and uh, as we talk about for a future episode, confirmation bias. Right. Um, they didn't try to give the franchise, meaning the vote for those of you who aren't well versed, to every single right. person. We're in not the, talking country. about a McDonald's franchise. Yeah, we're not talking those. about yeah, um, or Chick Fil A, or whoever. Whatever your favorite franchise is. Um, and maybe that is what allowed it to work, as horrible as that was. Because you look at other revolutions, and you know, I've talked about this before in some of the other episodes. The American Revolution is unique in yes. that it actually succeeded. Name another revolution that succeeded. Because even the French didn't succeed. No. Because as I said in the last episode, too, there were actually, if you really want to look at it, a few revolutions inside what we call the French Revolution because different groups attained power at various times. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even somebody as big a patriot as Lafayette yeah. had to, had to get, go in exile or he was going to lose his head. Right. Um, yeah. There were actually they, four they, French republics. Yeah, right. They, well, five. There yeah, five. That's five. right. You know, but again, we talked about the directory and, and the consulships and... You know the terror and the guillotine. Mm-hmm. Russia had two revolutions. Yeah, and mm-hmm. that became very much just, you know, shoot everybody that isn't a peasant. 
Right. Um, uh, even England. It's the know, only the American Revolution is the only middle class rev- revolution. Right. Right. That's yes. It is not is very the poor and oppressed rising up against those who owned them. Uh, you know, it, which is one of the things that makes it different. It really does have an intellectual underpinning. Not that others didn't, but I think the immediate cause of almost every revolution is because. They just can't take it anymore. Someone is disenfranchised and doesn't want to take it any longer. Right. Yeah. And that's why. And that's one of the reasons why some philosophers question whether the American Revolution was a just war, because really, we weren't really that oppressed compared to others who started revolutions. Now, I'm very pleased that we are the United States yeah, and not part of England. Don't yeah, get I mean, me wrong. That, that's certainly not my area of expertise, uh, just war theory, but. Perhaps um, another subject for another time. Could be, it, yes. It was what we needed to do. The revolution was necessary. Even though it may not have been ideologically pure in its intentions, it did have a, a bit of self Name me a revolution that is. Precisely yeah. my point. Exactly. But it is. Again, it was, we feel like we should be full British citizens, but Parliament does not treat us that way. Right. They've turned soldiers loose on us. Now there's no going back. Again, Franklin being one of these, uh, the driver of this idea of we can be more than 13 separate colonies, because he is so well-traveled, uh-huh. that begins to catch on. And again, he is one of the last of the initial patriots to come to the idea of independence. Right. But once he's there, he's all in. Right. He pushed all of his chips to the, to the middle of the table. He really right. did. Uh, as did they all. As did they all. Right. Even though they had no idea what it was going to look like afterwards. In fact, you're suggesting that the only reason we have the federal government we have today is because this confederation, which they tried, which which basically was, I don't use the word confederacy, but that's kind of what we're talking about here, states themselves, it was just too darn weak. They were still very much um, not willing to join together. Yes. It was probably the best expression uh, in our short history of these United States are, not the United States right. is. Right. Yeah. They really saw themselves separate, coming together for mutual self-defense right. yeah. and some economic stuff. Right. Right. But they, ultimately, they it all was wanted mid- to keep It their was own in many money. respects. Yes, that <laughs> was a big deal. It was in many respects yeah. 13 nations. In yeah. many respects, yes. yes. But, you know, to me, there are a lot of small bits of the American Revolution that determine, you talked about national character. Right. And again, a lot of the patriots are responsible for that national character uh-huh. to one degree or another. Right. Um, again, we tend to throw all of these guys under the bus these days. But Washington truly was one of the greatest men of history. Correct. All history. Correct. Okay, all of human history. If only for one episode, and you guys will know what I'm talking about, he walks into a meeting of Continental officers. Oh, I think I know where you're going. Okay, yes. who are PO'd that uh-huh. they ain't been paid. Right. This is towards the end of the war, or after the this war. This is after the war. This right is after, after the war. Yeah, just after. And the, war. the idea is, some of these officers are talking about we're yep. going to march on the Congress, right, and shoot Air Williams some bitches, yep, and get our money, or we'll start shooting them until we get our money. Yeah. Washington walks into the meeting. Yeah. Gets his spectacles out. That's right. I have grown and, gray in your service. Yes. Yes. And they all realize, yes, they've sacrificed. He's perhaps sacrificed more than any of them. Yes. And he's not talking about shooting people. That's right. Leadership. And he, True leadership. Yeah, he yes. saves the revolution. Right. And 
keeps it from going down those canals that every other one eventually does. Yes. Mm-hmm. He's yes. the stopgap. He's the one that prevents he's this from he's happening. With that moment. At that moment. Yeah, he prevents the guillotine. That's right. Uh, you know, metaphorically prevents the guillotine. He metaphorically prevents Bolshevism. Um, so, Which, again, is odd because it still was the intellectual and the moneyed class right. who was going to do it. That is, in a way, that's so very American. Yeah. Uh, yes. But again, so odd. Our revolution is so unique. It's so so unique. And so unique. We can go a little long. Yeah. Um, so, again, I, I know that doesn't tie too much to Voltaire for you, but that's, no, that's to me, that's, that's why, again, yes, they're contemporaries. He's important, but I think he's not that influential on the early Patriots. There's so much more that they're drawing on. It's simply an accident, then, that so much of what they espouse and, indeed, input into the Constitution, Bill of Rights specifically, is exactly what Voltaire said. Um, and that's all Madison right there. The Bill of right. Rights especially is Madison. Right. And, you know, you'd have to look. Maybe maybe Madison, maybe he did read some Voltaire yeah. and get yeah. some. Who yeah. knows? That, I would, that's, a, that's something I'd love to find out He's one of the more about. educated, uh, I think, right. if yeah, I recall yeah. correctly. He's a very educated Virginia planner. Yeah. And very so, much an ally of Jefferson. Yeah. And, you know, maybe you could say that Voltaire espoused in his writings... Uh, better than all those who came before him because he you know, came at the end of the Enlightenment. That's exactly right. Because he, he was a contemporary. My right. Lord, he, I mean, he is, he is, he is still alive in, 80, in 1787. No, 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 78. He died 78. Excuse me, 78. Yes, yeah. that's right. So, right, so yeah, our revolution he, he's was been, not over yet. Exactly. He's been gone hardly in no time at all. I mean, right. And he is, as you say, he's been a rock star. Yeah. He's, everybody knows his stuff. And admittedly, Madison is probably more likely... You would probably call him a second-generation patriot. Yes, he's, yeah. he's he was much younger, right? And yes. is a protege of Jefferson, and kind of, but then comes into writing into much like the, Hamilton is a protege of uh, Washington. Washington, right. yeah, much Pretty younger. Much so yeah, they're they're that second generation uh, around eighteen hundred. Was when they yeah ascend. more of a 1780, 1790, when yeah. they're when they're coming in and becoming part of right the group. As as a, again opposed to somebody like a Samuel Adams, uh, Patrick Henry, those very first early patriots, right before the Declaration, who were you might say more warriors than they were statesmen. Uh, we needed every one of them, though, of course. Yeah, yes, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. I mean that's the great thing. There, there's it, it is a middle class revolution, but it's also this great pulling together of so many people right. that. All of their viewpoints and all of their skills and all of their their abilities were all needed. I don't know if I'd call it a middle class revolution, mainly because I don't know if the, you could really say the middle class was really developed as we think of it today. True, There's some truth, true. but, it but was, it's, it's a mercantilist revolution, which is a progenitor of of the middle class as best you can come up with at this point, because there's no there's no aristocracy. Well, here in the South, there is. That's correct. The landed, there's yeah. a landed I mean, aristocracy, yeah, I mean, but it is it is not a. But that is not handed down from generation to generation. It is something that you've built. Well, and, and uh, I'd well, say a lot of that has been handed down. Well, a little, but not uh, not you know forty generations like in England. That's exactly right. But yeah, it's, it's four it's, generations easily. Yeah. Well, and there's no. What's being handed down has real value. Well, there's there's the piece I'm trying to find to circle it's around. It's not there. title, it's correct. It's actual property uh-huh. and wealth and wealth 
and that tends to change your viewpoint when you've got to make something of that land on its own yeah. without the added sliding through life of being called you know sir something the duke of virginia yeah uh or the you know the the earl of massachusetts sirloin of beef <laughs> sir, <laughs> so, sir osis of the liver come on we can keep going on that you know that uh, america in a large degree is a reaction to that yeah so all right well i think we're right about at the end aren't we indeed we are we oh. did. We, we hacked on that for, for a good 30 minutes. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, I think we could have gone a lot longer, too. Absolutely. Next time, uh, we're going to be taking this forward into the 20th century uh, and try to go and talk about uh, Woodrow Wilson and how some of these things that, he, that were put forth in the, our Constitution kind of got taken a bit of a left turn. Uh, so join us next time when we talk a little bit more about that. Thanks for being with us here every week at Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Be sure to spread the word on your social media accounts. Follow us and retweet us. We are on Instagram and on Twitter at Snakes and Otters. Let your friends know that they can find us on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and on YouTube. Just search Snakes and Otters Podcast to find us, and please remember to leave us your comments and reviews. It helps people find us. And you can always send us an email at snakesandotterspodcast at gmail.com. I'm Martin. I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Catch us next week. Same snake time, same otter channel. <laughs>